needed to show up and see what was going on. So he, he popped in and it didn't take people long to figure out who he is, who he was. And of course, they started leaving. Started going out the doors. They, they found some windows they could get out too. No one wanted to stay. Except for one dear elderly saint down in the front row. So the devil went up to her. He said, don't you know who I am? She said, sure do. He said, aren't you afraid of me? This dear saint said, not one bit. And he was steaming then. He said, why not? And she told him, I've been married to your brother for over 50 years. (laughs) Believe it or not, that story ties into our message. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 29. Genesis 29. Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 29. We're, we're looking at the story of, of Jacob. Jacob who ran away from home, as I'll be mentioning several times. And um, went to his mother's family, her brother Laban. And uh, goes to work. This is, this is a family. It's a family of shepherds. The Hebrews were shepherds. Even, even in the early days. So he goes to work for his uncle Laban. And we'll start reading with verse 14. Laban said, said to Jacob, you're my own flesh and blood, right? You're, you're family. After Jacob had stayed with Laban with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. The Bible is 
one of the most unsentimental books when it, when it comes to the topic of marriage and family. It's totally realistic. It can be hard and, and difficult to be married, right? The, the Bible doesn't hide that from us. And it can be hard and difficult not to be married. Sometimes, in, I think, in a society, it's easy to say something like this. Oh, marriage, you know, I, I, I can't wait to be married someday. Have a nice home, white picket fences, kids, everything will be great. But, you know, there's, marriage isn't easy. There's a lot of hardship and difficulty. The Bible says we need to have the right attitude. It doesn't just say everyone should be married, because it also talks about celibacy and how we should live a single. But the Bible shows us marriage, the strengths and its weaknesses, and says that Jesus Christ is what we need. Uh, A man named Jacob, he came from a special family, a family chosen by God, filled with grace, but also some suffering. If you know the family tree, Jacob's grandfather was, was Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And one day God said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you. And do you see the world? There's, there's misery. There is a lot of hardship. And you see death. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to redeem it all. I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to do it through your family. In your family, in every generation... One of them is going to be the seed. That's, that's the one I'm going to work through. I'm going to work through that individual and his descendants. In every generation, there'll be children. One child will be the messianic seed. And that child will be the one I have chosen. And then one day, one day through your line, will come the Messiah. And that's Jesus Christ. This was a special family. But it was a family filled with hardship. You may know the story. When God spoke to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children, and they were both well along in their years. Things, things didn't look any good for them. It was humanly impossible for them to have any children. And so they came up with a plan, and Abraham had a son through their maidservant Hagar. That was accepted back then. But this caused all kinds of problems. And so God said, Abraham and Sarah... It's going to come from you. This son that I'm choosing is going to come from the both of you, not from anyone else. So they had one son named Isaac, and Isaac married Rebekah. And the time came when they had twins. But God said, I'm not, I'm not choosing the older one. Birth order was very important back then. I'm not going to choose the older one. I'm going to choose the younger one. But Isaac ignored what God said. He put his heart on the firstborn, Esau. He clearly favors Esau more than Jacob. And as a result, devastation is wrecked on both these boys. Esau is willful. He's he's proud because dad makes him the favorite. Jacob is his mother's favorite. He he turns into a schemer. He's, He's a con artist. He's a liar. And when they're young, Jacob swindles his brother out of his birthright, the rights of the firstborn. Then later when he comes of age, it comes time for the verbal blessing, the oral blessing, and Jacob deceives his father. His father is old, he's blind. Jacob dresses up as Esau. He gets his father to give him the blessing. 
Jacob has both the birthright and the blessing. And when Esau realizes this, he vows to kill his brother. And Jacob has to run. And this is where our scripture reading picks up. Jacob runs away to his mother's family. She, she kind of put him up to this after all. His mother's relatives take him in. His uncle Laban, that's his mother's brother. He's going to help him out, and Jacob goes to work. But Jacob's got to be thinking, my life's over. And he's probably not sure if, if he's the one that screwed up, or if God's the one that messed up, or if it's his parents. But he'll never fulfill his destiny now. His life is in ruins. And Laban brings Jacob in as a charity case, but he's, he's family And you're not supposed to turn your back on family. And Jacob works for him as a shepherd, and he asks Jacob, what do you want? You know, what what do you want your wages to be? And Jacob says, Rachel, your daughter Rachel. Jacob really messed up here, because when you talk to a shyster, you never let him know your weakness, right? Right? Don't, don't let a con man know your weakness. Because as soon as Laban realizes that Jacob will do anything for Rachel, he's got him. Why? Because in Laban, Jacob's met his match. Laban has all the cards, and he's been doing this a lot longer than Jacob. He's more experienced. And he says, I'm going to exploit this man's weaknesses to take care of two things at once, two problems. What are these problems? Well, the first is, how do I make money? Because Jacob is a seed, he's blessed by God. Laban doesn't know this yet. But everything Jacob touches is going to turn to gold. And the other thing, maybe the other problem is his daughter Leah. The verse says that Laban had two girls, two daughters. The older was Leah, and the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. There's these two sisters, and the older one, Leah, probably, we think, had had some kind of eye disorder, but we're not sure because it's possible to translate that as tender eyes, tender eyes. Um, But whatever it is, Rachel is gorgeous. She was a hottie. Can Can I say that in church? Right, You know what that means, right? It's clear, Rachel's gorgeous, she's beautiful, and these girls, they, they grew up together. And Laban had a problem. He's probably thinking, I'm, I'm not going to be able to marry this older daughter off. Guys aren't looking at her. And I'll have to take care of her for the rest of my life. That's, that's the kind of guy he is. Jacob says he'll work seven years for the hand of Rachel in marriage. Has anyone had a year-long engagement or longer? Anyone had a year-long engagement? Few. Okay. Bless you. Bless you. Mine was nine months. All right. Uh, had to wait for my wife to graduate from college. But can you imagine a seven-year engagement? Wow. And hopefully your love, right, your love was like Jacob's, for it says... So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's beautiful. The seven years pass by. The day comes. You've got to imagine Jacob counting off the days on his calendar. Uncle Laban and the family celebrates. He throws a big feast for everybody, 
Then it says, But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. Wow. After all the feasting and all the drinking, in comes the bride. She's, I, I have to imagine in those days, right, she was, she was all veiled. They embrace. They're married. They go into the tent. They go to bed together. And the Hebrew literally says, But when morning came, behold, it was Leah. You have to imagine Jacob stomping off to Laban. Why have you done this to me? And Laban knew, knew this was going to happen, but he already had his, his response, didn't he? It's the custom. You can't marry the younger daughter off before the older. The older daughter has to be married before the younger. We have to imagine lovesick Jacob thinking, what am I going to do? But Laban has the answer. He says, I'll tell you what, buddy. <laughs> Finish the week. And then the net, we'll say the next weekend, you can marry Rachel for another seven years of work. What a good uncle. And Jacob says yes. But think about Leah. Because of these men, her life has to be miserable. And, and the shame of it. She's married to a man who doesn't love her. And the person he does love is right there and it's her sister. This, this story is one of the most distressing I know in the Bible. But the story's not over. It doesn't end here. We, we stopped with verse 30. I want to read to you the next verse. I, and I want to encourage you. It's, you know, it's, it's still winter. Um, still cold out. So this afternoon to, to read some of these chapters. To read the story of Jacob. Read it this week. In verse 31 it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah gives birth to the first four sons. Wow. And every time she gives birth to a son, she thinks that now, now my husband is going to love me. He'll pay attention to me. Every time she names a child, we see it in their names. She's thinking, now my husband will love me and I'll have some meaning in my life. And we didn't read it, but the verses that follow spell this out. You can read it, but let me just cover the names. Leah began to believe that having, having these children, these sons, will cause her husband to love her. Her firstborn is named Reuben, which means I'm seen. And Simeon means I'm heard. Levi means I'm attached. And every time she gives birth to a son, she's, she's thinking something like, Finally, my husband will notice me. He'll see me. Finally, I'll be heard. He'll listen to me. Now he'll cleave to me. We will be attached. Surely he'll love me. And it doesn't happen. But with the last son, the fourth son, it says, finally, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. That's the gospel. First the bad news, then the good news, and then the gospel. Number one, you never do sin. Sin does you. You never commit sin. Sin commits you. People think that, you know, when I sin, it's, it's just an event, a one-time action, right? It's, it's not going to bother anyone else. 
and no one's, no one's going to know, right? I'll get away with it. No one will be offended. I'll get away with it. But it's not that way. The Bible teaches us when we sin, we release a fourth force in our life that doesn't, doesn't leave. And it continues throughout our life. And there's many examples. Look at what Isaac does. Look at what Rebecca do. They, they have favorites. Isaac favors Esau over Jacob. There's serious problems. And, and the scheming and the lying never stop. And Jacob is doing the same thing to Leah that his father did to him. And eventually the fact that he does this to Leah means that their, their children are going to hate one another. Right? Rachel's going to have children, and the maidservants are going to have children, and we'll, we'll get into that in two or three weeks. They don't get along. You don't do sin. Sin does you, because sin begats sin. Remember when you were a kid, and you throw a rock in the water, and you watch the waves you know, in a puddle, and they'd hit the shore and come back, and eventually they'd die down? That's like sin, but the waves don't die down. They keep going. You don't get away with it. Anything that's a violation of God's will for how we should live, you don't get away with. Second bit of bad news. All life is marked by cosmic disappointment. Jacob says, finally, I'm going to have the woman of my dreams. And what does it say? Behold, in the morning, it was Leah. In a sense, it's the story of life. We look for meaning, we look for contentment, not just a, you know, a good experience or a good day, but rather true peace and satisfaction. But no matter what your hopes are for a project, for a relationship, a career, in the morning it's always going to be Leah. I mean, we, you're looking for Rachel. <laughs> That's what you want, but it's going to be Leah. And so you're disappointed. There are, there are things we want and we chase after them in life. We work hard. But the day comes when we realize it cannot be had in this world. And there's, there's all sorts of things that offer it to us. But they don't keep their promise. The relationships that we have. Maybe, maybe we get that dream job. Or, or we study that, that subject in school. Something that excites us, hobbies, our passions. But, but these are longings that, that no relationship, no travel, no learning, no job can ever really satisfy. And I'm, I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There's always something we've reached for. There's something we want. We work for it. It, it may be seven years. It may be 14 years. We, we don't know. But in the morning, it's, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. And this is our disillusionment in life. From Eden onwards, right? Because of the fall from Adam and Eve, life doesn't give us the meaning it should. And so there's disappointment. When I was a little kid, I couldn't wait to grow up. And I could do the things I wanted. Well, I, I grew up, I think. It was many years ago. <laughs> but I haven't been doing the things I've wanted all the time. I've been doing a lot of them. But life's hard. And it can wear you down to the point that you, you feel life is only full of failure and disappointment. And we need to understand there's only four possible ways of responding to this. And you're going to choose one of them. 
whether, whether you mean to or not, and it shapes your life. You, you can blame the things you have. Then you start thinking, I got to get better ones, right? I, I need a better man, or I need a better woman, or I, I need a better job, a better boss. I, I need to live in a, you know, a better community. I need to move you know, someplace nice, or uh, uh, I just need something different. And so you keep searching and searching for meaning, for, for pleasure, for contentment. And you keep thinking, once I find it, once I find the missing piece, then I'll be happy. But you know what? You can never find it. Or second, you start to blame yourself. And you start to hate yourself. Oh, here we go again. I can't do anything right. I've screwed up again. I blow, I blow it every time, right? I can't get anything right. You think you're a loser. Or third, you blame life, right? Every, everything's against me. Everything's against me. I'm never going to win. And you harden yourself so you never hope for anything at all. And life can beat you down till, till you have no more hopes and dreams. Or fourth, you can blame your theory of reality, what you think life is about. If there's, if there's nothing in this world that can ever satisfy me, then what I need is beyond this world. If there's nothing in this life that can give me peace and contentment, then I'm made for something more. Something more than this world offers. And that's where God comes into the picture. There's, there's only four choices. And which, which one do we settle on? One leaves you empty because nothing in this world can truly satisfy. One, one makes you hate yourself because you keep blaming yourself. But it's, it's not you. One makes you hard and cynical. That's how you try to protect yourself. And one makes you a Christian, a believer. Third, as bad as life is, we, we make it worse through idolatry. And this includes the idolatry of the family. That, that may sound strange, but there's a form of idolatry where we put our hope in something to, to give us a sense of meaning, right? To, to feel love, to understand life. And Jacob says, if I, if I get this gorgeous wife, if I get Rachel, then I'll be happy. It didn't work. And poor Leah says, if, if I have children, if I have sons, then I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. And it doesn't work. If we build our lives on other people, we can become dependent on them in an unhealthy way. Or we might become judgmental or controlling. And if anything goes wrong with that person, then our, our lives go haywire and we're not of any help to them or anyone else. Again and again, Leah's saying, a son, a son, I'm having a son. Now my husband will love me. He'll notice me. And she's fitting in with the traditional values of that time. Maybe, maybe if Jacob had been nicer to Leah, she could have lived in her delusion uh, longer. But fortunately, she, she didn't. She came to see that depending on him was unhealthy. Looking to Jacob for contentment makes a disappointment of the world far worse. That's the bad news. Now for the good news. The good news is God works with weak people. 
If you think the Bible should be just a, a book of virtues, you know, stories about perfect people who, who always do the right things, the perfect things, then it's, then it's like other scriptures and religions. The Bible is not about people with superpowers. It's not about people with perfect lives. One year in college, I decided I should, I should read through the Bible. I'd become a Christian. Now, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up Catholic, but never, never went to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or anything like that. Um, I, I knew the stories, right? Uh, Noah and the Ark, David and Goliath, Jesus, the resurrection. But no real understanding. No, no details. No real understanding. So I started in Genesis, it's a good place to start, the beginning. <laughs> then I got to these guys. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Esau and Jacob, and then, and then Joseph, right? Most of the end of Genesis is about Joseph. Joseph was the son of Rachel. He was Jacob's favorite son. He's the one the brothers wanted to kill, remember? But they sold him as a slave and he went to Egypt. And I was, I was just amazed because, you know, these are God's people. This, this is the Bible. They were lying. They were cheating. They were immoral. They were violent and murderous. And I just thought, look at these people. They have revelation from God. They have God speaking to them. They have miracles in their lives. In- incredible things. And they keep messing up time and time again. When Jacob runs away from home to escape his brother Esau, the first night he lays down. You remember what he used for a pillow? He used a rock. I guess a hard pillow is better than no pillow. And so back in chapter 28, that's why I say, read these chapters. Verse 12, it says this. Taking one of the stones there, he, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And then then God speaks to Jacob in this dream. Wow. And he says, I'll I'll take care of you and I'll bring you home. And Jacob says, only if you bring me home. (laughs) Yeah. Jacob's a hard guy to get along with, even for God. And our God, the Christian God... He's not one who, who stands at the top of the ladder or the staircase because he sent his son to be the ladder. And I can say this because of Jesus Christ. Over 1,500 years later, Jesus would tell one of his disciples in the first chapter of John's gospel. He said this, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm that ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the way to God. God the Father says, my son Jesus Christ will come down. And he'll live the life you should have lived. And he'll die the death you should have died. But you won't have to. And that's the reason the Bible is, is not just role models of, of perfect people, but of, but of weak people, weak people like us, and of a God who had to come down and become weak and die on the cross to save us. The second piece of good news, God works 
through weak people. Laban really hurt Leah, didn't he? His own daughter. Laban really hurt Jacob. But if we understand, God uses these people in our lives. God used Laban in their lives. It was because of Laban and all of his shysterness, his meanness, that Jacob finally began to get humbled. But this is going to go on for years. God works in our life through weak people. And right now, there could be a Laban in your life. Or you could probably think back of all the Labans that have been there. And we scream, God, why is this person in my life? Why are they giving me such a hard time? We have to realize that God works not just with weak people, but he works in our lives through weak people. And that person may be there for a reason. They may be there for a reason. Maybe God's just trying to get our attention. Lastly, God God is attracted to the weakest. That's what's so astounding about Leah. We watch her cry out to God and talk about how I I want my husband to love me. And she uses a special name for God. She does. There are two words used for God in the Old Testament. Two basic words. Uh, One word is translated God, G-O-D. It's it's the Hebrew word Elohim. But it's, it's a generic name for God. But when God came down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he showed them, he gave them his new name. A personal name, and that's Yahweh or or Jehovah. I'm sure you've heard that before. And he only said Yahweh. He only gave this name Yahweh to people who were part of the story of salvation. He only said Yahweh. He was only known as Yahweh to people who were part of the promise that through a descendant, he will save the world. In every place the word, the name Yahweh, shows up in the Old Testament, the English Old Testament, you don't see the word God translated. What do you see? You see Lord in all capitals. And here's Leah. She's she's trying to deal with what's been going on in her life. The misery. And she's got to be thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I escape this? You know, my... I've always known my sister was better looking than me. I always knew she was the favorite. And every day it's in my face. I have to live with this. How am I going to survive? A child, a son. And every time she has a child, a son, she cries out and faces her husband. Now he'll notice me. Now he'll hear me. Now he'll cleave to me. Now he will love me. But at some point she remembers the Lord. She calls on the name Yahweh. And what happened? Leah heard the story of the promise. The promise of the seed. The promise of salvation. She started to believe. Not just in some general vague God at the top of a ladder. To whom she needed to submit. What other people thought. But she began to understand, to grab hold of at first, maybe partially, the idea of the Lord, Yahweh, the God who will save by grace. She's always looked to her husband until now. 
And at the very end, something changes. Something radically changes. Every time she's thought, now, now he'll notice me. Now he'll love me. But with the fourth son, Judah, she gives birth. And this time she says what? I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. And that's what Judah means. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Finally, it's, it's not about her husband. I, I don't think he started loving her. <laughs> Nothing about her husband. She stopped looking to her husband, even her children. She stopped looking at anything else to give her meaning in life. And she said, I'm going to praise the Lord. And I think that's when she got her life back. Yeah. And more than that, who's this child? When she turned to God, she said, it's time I'll praise the Lord. That's, it's Judah. And who's Judah? Well, he's the seed. Both Mary and Joseph are descended from Judah. God comes to Leah and says, you, Leah, you will be the ancestor of Jesus. You'll be part of that family line. And your son Judah will be part of that line. It wasn't Esau, it was Jacob the younger. And it's Leah the unloved was the mother of the seed Judah. Not, not his three older brothers, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. It's Leah the outsider. Leah who's rejected because she grabbed hold with faith. God makes her the one. She goes ahead of her husband. I think now she understands God better than her husband. At the very end, God is saying, through your suffering, you have come to understand the gospel of grace. You're the seed. Your son Judah is the seed. And you've become the ancestor of Jesus. Now, how can this be? Why would God do this? It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he came to her. God loves people that others don't love. God is attracted because of his gracious nature. He wants the one that no one else wants. But more than that, when he sees a person, in Leah's case, when he sees a wife who's not loved, he shows there's a heavenly bridegroom. There's a heavenly husband. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is is not just the king and we're his servants. He's not just the shepherd and we're the sheep. He's the bridegroom and we, the church, are the bride. Jesus came to the earth and died. We became his bride. That's good news. We may think we don't look like much or we amount to much, but to Jesus, we look gorgeous. We see in the Old Testament a hint that God is the heavenly bridegroom. He sees those who are unwanted. That's why God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong And he chooses the things that are despised so that we can realize it's by grace. Conclusion. If you're searching for God, we need to understand this. God is is not just at the top of the ladder saying, you got to climb up to me. Because he sent his son to be the ladder. Second, if if you're upset with life, if you're disappointed, then, then you're not alone. We know life is hard. Because in the morning, it's never what you thought. You thought you, thought you had everything good, and then you woke up in the morning. It's not what you think. You can't look to anything or anyone else but Jesus.
In heaven, we have a spouse who will deal with all the disappointments, but we have to make Jesus the one. And we have to be able to say, this time, I will praise the Lord. Then we can deal with life and what's going on around us. Maybe you feel like someone's ruined your life. Well, look at Leah. What a picture. She got her life back. She doesn't have to be bitter. This time I will praise the Lord. She's, she's not going to look to anyone else. She's not going to look to anyone or anything else. But she's understanding the God of grace who would one day send his son Jesus Christ. And we cannot add anything to those requirements to be happy. If we look to Jesus, if we do so with faith and understand God's grace, we can get our lives back. And we need to take them back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. In the Old Testament, before the law, before the temple, before the sacrifices, before the altar, before the Holy of Holies, you showed that you're a God of grace who saves by faith. And we look at ourselves, we, we each have a story, we know our own stories, we know our ups and downs. And that, that can be hard on us, because life's, life's not easy. But thank you that you are a God of grace, and you show your grace, and you can give us meaning and contentment. Help us to be focused on you, and not the things around us. Help us to focus on you, and the love bestowed through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.